0: Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Y'all pray for me Uh, this morning. I felt like at around, I don't know, maybe 1 a.m. last night, I was completely inspired in a totally different direction for this sermon today. That's all I'm going to say, right? You know, no excuses. We're, we're going to preach God's word, but um, give me grace as we dive into this and we go for it. I, I really, I'm fired up. I think the Lord um, has something important and profound to speak to all of us. I think it is uh, no accident that you are here today um, at church to hear, uh, to hear God's word preached from John 5. And so be praying for me that I would have... Uh, Clarity, energy, I am jacked up on a lot of caffeine right now. It's gonna be awesome. And uh, Holy Spirit plus caffeine equals a powerful morning. So we are, we are going for it. But as, as Lindsay mentioned, we are continuing in our series through the Gospel of John um, that we've titled Iconic. And we're looking at the life of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And today we arrive at John chapter five. And I, <laughs> you know, partly this opening illustration that I wanna share is just from my experience last night. And partly I think it's something that we all have experienced at some point in our life or another. But have you ever noticed that right at the end of the day, when you, when you go to lay your head on the pillow, it seems like at that very moment, Every horrible possibility that you can possibly conceive for your future or every little conversation that you had that day or the day before seems to come crashing down on you. And there is just this moment sometimes, and it just seems to hit at the end of the day when you're tired, emotionally drained, exhausted, where, you know, it's kind of like, Your ankle starts hurting so you get on WebMD and you start to look up potential causes and then by the end of it you're convinced you're gonna die in 24 hours. Anybody else? Sometimes at the end of the day it just feels like, oh my gosh, you know, the anxiety, the stress of life can sometimes make it hard to fall asleep, can make it hard to rest. I don't know what it is about the end of the day but often I'm just spent, I'm tired, I'm emotionally done by the end of the day. And uh, that's when all those thoughts come creeping in or sometimes the Holy Spirit comes creeping in and you get inspired to write a new sermon at 1 a.m. So one of two things could happen. Um, But I thought about this because, you know, I think one of the real tests, one of the real litmus tests of our faith, of what we believe, of if we believe God is who he says he is, is simply this. Are you, a, are you able to lay down and sleep at night? Are you able to experience true rest? Are you able to take the anxieties of the day and the anxieties of the future or what may or may not happen? Are you able to take all of that and say, it's going to be okay. God is my shield. He is my shelter. He is my rock. He's my provider. He's my source of peace. Therefore, I can actually fall asleep. Easier said than done, but I do believe that is one of the litmus tests of of our faith and what we actually believe. And I think one of the most amazing verses in the Bible is found in Psalm chapter 3 when David writes, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. And then the very next line, he goes, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I mean, he's talking about literal armies, surrounding him, foes assailing him, searching for him, hunting him down to kill him. I'm stressed about like a Monday morning meeting. He's stressed about his life actually being on the line. And he goes, and I laid down and went to bed because God sustains me. He's the one who's gonna protect me. He's my shield. He's my shelter. He's the protector of my life. Friends, what we're going to look at today in John 5 is actually a controversy about rest. It's a controversy about the Sabbath because Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath day. So John 5, there's a lot of layers to this, but one of the main things that God is dealing with is this idea of rest. Are you at rest do you know how to rest? Do you know how to be at peace in your life? I, I mentioned this a while back. I, I started to do more running over the past year and um, I ended up, my wife got me a Garmin watch for Father's Day and it's a, it's kind of a, it's a cool tool if you're running in the wilderness because it can track your location and it can literally save your life if something goes wrong. You can send out a beacon and the people who you put on that safety list will get notified that you're in trouble and they can see exactly where you are. But it turns out this watch tracks everything. Like it gives me way more information than I ever even knew possible or than I ever wanted. And one of the things I realized, you know, on my app, I can see all this, you know, blood oxygen levels and, you know, things that I'm like, what does that even mean, HRV status? But it gives me uh, a stress level reading, which stresses me out. <laughs> and it also gives me a sleep score. Every night it tells me what my sleep score is out of 100. It also stresses me out, right? I'm, you know, now I'm like, You know, I feel like it's a test every night. Can I get above an 80? Can I get... I've actually never gotten above... I think my highest sleep score ever is an 81. I felt great about that. This thing, I mean, it grades on a strict scale. And it turns out, I'll I'll share some of my recent sleep scores with you. We're gonna get real vulnerable here. So here's here's what it tells me, okay? This is one of my best all-time sleep scores, okay? I went to bed at 10, 12 p.m. I woke up at... 5:07 5:07 a.m., and what I realized is this: you know, that's about mm, seven hours of sleep. Pretty good. It's a good night. Um, but what I learned is this: it's really not just about how long you sleep. I, I've had nights where I've slept longer than seven hours, but my sleep score has been lower. It's actually about the quality of sleep that you get. And what your body needs, it turns out, is not just sleep, but it needs deep sleep, which is the dark blue lines that are lower here. And it also needs REM sleep, which are the pink lines there. So if you get enough, the, the, the light blue is light sleep. If you get enough deep sleep and REM sleep, then you'll wake up feeling refreshed, even if you sleep only five hours, six hours. It depends on how much REM and deep sleep. Now, this is a photo of a a bad night's sleep, right? Bedtime, 1.42 a.m., wake time, 4.57 a.m. The duration is not long enough. This line that goes to the top means I woke up right there. I did have some deep sleep, but not nearly enough, and then, not long enough and zero REM sleep. You can imagine I woke up the next day feeling awful, not a good night of sleep. And in John five, Jesus is addressing, he's talking about this man, this paralyzed man who has been paralyzed for 38 years. And he finds this man lying with hundreds, multitudes of other sick people near the edge of a pool in Bethesda, the Bethesda pool inside the walls of Jerusalem. And they all gathered there because they believed that when the waters of this pool were stirred, whether it was fed from an underground spring or whatever, when the waters were stirred, they believed that the pool contained healing powers and the first person into the pool would be healed. And so this man has spent much of his life, even though he's paralyzed, trying to be the first one in the pool, trying to be the first one to get healed. That pool represented his deepest hopes, dreams, desires. If only I could get down to that pool, then everything, and I mean everything, would be fixed. It would be better. And then Jesus enters the story in this man's life and he does something very controversial, but Jesus never does anything without very specific intentions. He has a reason for why he heals this man in the way he does and on the day that he does because he heals him on the Sabbath day. On the day of rest, he does something that is quote unquote unlawful. And friends, I I believe this, I believe this story, I believe John five is for everyone who has ever felt stuck, paralyzed, exhausted, who's been looking for the solution, looking for life, but can't seem to find it. Because in this story, we discover something deeply profound for all of us. In many ways, we discover we are just like this paralyzed man. We've all put our ultimate hopes in something that hasn't worked out. We've all felt stuck, hopeless, and paralyzed at one point or another in our lives. Where We're looking for something or someone to save us. We're looking for true rest. We're looking for life, meaning love, identity, purpose, contentment, peace, connection. We're looking for rest, and we're looking for life, And when Jesus walks up to this man, we'll see in just a moment, he asks him one very simple but profound question. Do you want to get well? Do you want to be healed? Do you wanna get better? And I think what Jesus is really asking when we get down to it is one simple thing. Are you done yet? Are we done yet? Are we done looking to the pool of Bethesda as our ultimate hope for our future, as the place of rest and life? Are you done yet or will you come to the source? Will you come to the actual person, the actual place that can give you actually what you need and what you long for and what you're looking for? Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be healed? Are we done looking for all the things we think we want and need in all the wrong places? That's what John five is about. So are we ready to dive into God's word this morning? Are we ready to look at this and, and just be thinking about what the Lord may be speaking to us this morning? Are we ready? Let's do this together. Okay, so John 5, verse 1 to 3. Here's how the story begins. It says Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jew- Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethesda. With five covered porches, crowds or multitudes of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, they lay on the porches. Um, this is where the whole thing goes down when we went to israel a few years back and i know some of you are still wondering are are we going to go again we had plans to go in the spring um i promise we will announce and let you know as soon as we know um if we are able to make it in the meantime continue praying for our ministry partners over there and the entire situation but i figure i need to give that disclaimer before i show photos from our last trip so um this is a photo right here in Jerusalem of the remains of the pool of Bethesda. This is one of the, the colonnades that held up the roof. And it's, as you can see, it's, been excavated far, far down, but you can see actually where this place was just inside the sheep gate, which is where all of the the sheep that were going to be used for sacrifices in the temple, this is where they came into the city of Jerusalem. And that's right where the pool was located. This is what it would have looked like during the time of jesus it was a massive structure likely fed from underground springs and it would have actually had steps that came all the way down into the water and as you can see all the way around this there was room for hundreds and hundreds of people who were looking for a healing who were looking for a solution to their problems there were multitudes that would gather there and wait for the water to be stirred because they believed, and this was a really interesting thing to me, they believed that the god Aseplius, I think I'm saying that right, which was a a Greco-Roman god, that this was actually one of his healing sanctuaries. And both the Jewish people and the pagans, the Greeks and the Romans, those who did not believe in Yahweh, they would all gather there looking for the same thing. And so Jesus shows up in this place showing ultimately that he is the solution. He is the desire. He is what they're all looking for. Not just the Jewish people, but even the Greeks and the Romans as well. That's the backdrop. That's the setting. That's where this story takes place. We move on in John 5, verse 5 to 6. It says this. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. Years. 38 years. I just turned 39. It's a long time. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? Do you want to get better? Do you want to be healed? feels like a self-evident question it feels like a question that doesn't even need asking feels like one of those moments where a reader or somebody looking in on the situation would say yes of course he wants to get healed that's why he's by the pool that's why he's been staying here for years on his mat trying to somehow crawl his way or hope that someone will help him into the waters when they're stirred so that he can be made well It goes on in verse seven. He says, I can't, sir. This guy has no idea who Jesus is. Jesus goes, do you want to be well? And he responds, I can't. The sick man said, for I have no one, no family, no friends, no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. And so This gentleman, this man, he's talking to the one person on the planet that can solve his deepest problem, that can solve, that can fix his deepest need. He's speaking to him in the flesh. And basically, what he's doing right now is he's making a case for why he can't get better. He's saying, I can't get healed. Yeah, maybe I want to, but I, I can't because I don't have anyone to put me into the pool. In essence, sort of what he's saying is, would you be willing to hang around here? Maybe some of your friends, it seems like you're traveling with 12 other guys. Would any of you be willing to hang here with me until the water starts to bubble up? I don't have friends or family to get me down there. If, if one of you stayed with me, maybe I'd have a shot. Maybe, just maybe, I could get better. What is this man looking for? What's he hoping for? What's he seeking? Two things. He's looking for rest and he's looking for life. And here's why I say that. This whole story is about Sabbath Rest. It's about something that Jesus does on the Sabbath day. And then it's also about Jesus' ability to restore and give life. Now, think about this. Just imagine this. How can I say that this man was looking for rest? Imagine how restless you would be, how completely impossible it would be for you if you were waiting. On a miracle if you were waiting for the bubbles for the water to be stirred and at that moment you knew you had to be the first in the water if you had any shot of getting what you were waiting for he had to be on high alert at all times day and night He had to find a way to get very close to the water because he was paralyzed so that somehow maybe someone would help him or if he could move just a little bit, he could somehow shove his way into the water or down into the first step Where maybe just even getting himself in the water when it was stirred, he would be healed. But he could never fully rest because he was always on watch. He was always waiting. There was no rest for him. Whenever it happened, he had to jump on the opportunity. There was no rest for him. And what was he wanting? What was he looking for? He, he wanted to get his life back. Being paralyzed with no one, no one to care for you, no one around you to help you in any way. There's no life there. He can't do anything on his own. He's stuck, he's helpless, there's no way forward. And friends, I do believe this, the paralysis of the body had spread into his soul and had spread into his will. I do think actually part of the reason that Jesus asked him, do you wanna be made well? is because there was some part of this man that did not want to be made well. Yes, obviously, from an external perspective, you would say, sure, that's why he's there. Of course he wants to be made well, but I think Jesus was actually touching on something deeper. I think he was saying, do you really want to get well, or have you become quite comfortable in your life of dependency all these years. And friends, some of us know what that feels like. We know what it's like to be so upset and depressed that we're not well, that our circumstances haven't changed, yet at the same time we are scared to death to get well because we know if we get well, then we're going to have to stand on our own two feet. We all know that feeling. We can become very comfortable in our dysfunction because When we stand on our own two feet, people are not just going to give us food for survival as we lay on our mat. There are all kinds of responsibilities that that man at that moment did not have to worry about because he was paralyzed. And he hasn't worked in 38 years, he hasn't held a job. He's not married. He clearly has no friends because no one is helping him into the pool. He would be starting from scratch. Now, life is hard on its own. Life is really hard when you're starting from scratch at age 38. I thought about one of my favorite movies, Shawshank Redemption, and one of my favorite characters in that movie, Red. And Red's story is so profound. It's so powerful because Red has been in prison for so long and he's actually reached a point where he could be released. He could go free. He served his time, but every time he sits before the the board of the prison and they ask him the questions about whether or not he deserves to be free, whether or not he's been rehabilitated enough to enter the real world, He gives them on purpose the wrong answers so he can stay in prison. Why? Because he's comfortable there. He knows how things work inside the walls of the prison. He's got respect. He's got people that work for him. Being an ex-con in the real world, having to start over as an elderly man That's a hard task. Having to stand on your own two feet outside the walls of the prison where you've become comfortable and you've made a life for yourself sometimes That's a scary proposition. And Jesus steps into this man's story. He steps into the situation and he rouses the man. He's giving him back, in a sense, his freedom of choice. He's rousing within him an actual desire to change. Do you want to be made well? Are you done yet trying to get into this pool? that you've been trying to get into for years, it's not working out for you. Do you wanna try something different? Do you actually wanna be made well? And here's the crazy thing. This man is not looking for Jesus. He doesn't care about Jesus. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. He's focused on one thing. He's built his whole life around this one thing. His hopes and dreams are sort of anchored on this thing, and yet he's realizing this thing is not working out for him. He's realizing, gosh, if I haven't gotten in after all these years into that pool, um, you know, I guess I'll just make my life comfortable as I possibly can here on this mat. But he's not looking to Jesus as any kind of a solution or some way somebody who can Fulfill the deepest longings of his heart and his deepest needs. And friends, in many ways, this man is an example of all of us. Every one of us has put our hope, our trust in false saviors. Things that we hope will bring us peace and rest and happiness. We've put our hope in false protectors schemes by which we think we can deal with the restlessness of our souls. We've all in our own way tried to claw our way to the top, desperately trying to get to the one place in life that we think is going to solve all our problems and fill that void in our soul only to realize it didn't work. I mean, think about it. Where are you looking for rest? Where are you looking for life? Where am I looking for rest and for life? I mean, I think about vacation, right? Sometimes we we look to vacation, summer vacation. If I can just get to July, if I can just get to winter break, if I can just make it there, then I'll find rest. And then you get there and you look at your watch and you look at your calendar and three days have already gone by and you're like, oh my gosh, I, I got to go home in two days. And now you're anxious again about what you're heading back home to and The sunsets are beautiful and yes, it's time with your family, but it's fading so fast and you're hoping and longing that this vacation will give you the rest that you so desperately need and before you know it, you're just thrown back into the chaos of life and it didn't work. You had some great times, some good memories, but it did not quench the desire for rest and satisfy the longing for rest deep in your souls. I think about this. Some of us, We're looking to our careers. We're looking to success within our careers to find rest. Uh, A friend of mine, I'll I'll never forget this. He's in uh, surgical sales. So he sells surgical equipment to surgeons. And he'd been working on this one account for like three years. It was the VA, pretty massive account. And he'd been hustling, he'd been building relationships, he'd been showing up and giving free samples of different things and he'd been uh, just for free trying to help these surgeons do better and offer his services and products. And for three years he tried to get his foot in the door and tried to land the VA for his company and finally, I'll never forget it, he got the phone call from the head guy, whoever was making the decisions and he said, hey, we're going to go with you exclusively moving forward for these surgical products. And he was elated. He was, he was beside himself. He almost dropped the phone because that meant a commission check was coming that was bigger than two years of his annual salary. He had done it. He had reached it. He had, he had made it, right? He got the sale. And he's thinking, man, finally, now I can rest. And about a week later, he meets with his manager who gives him a pat on the back. And he's like, man, you're probably going to win salesman of the year. That was a huge account. Well done. Uh, By the way, we are now upping your quotas And we're upping the expectations. So now your baseline just to make the last commission that you were making is double what it used to be. So get on back out there, buddy, and start hustling. And He's like, what? You know, I felt like I hit the jackpot. Finally, I can rest. I had arrived. No, he's back to the hustle, back to the grind. And he didn't get the rest that he was hoping for. Friends, our hearts, our desire, factories. We're constantly producing desires for more. We're just not quite where we want to be in life. We wish we had better relationship with our children, better relationship with our wives. If maybe we made just a little more money, uh, maybe if I just had a slightly different career or a new job, we're all restless. We're all on the edge of the pool of Bethesda. We're trying to get in and we're hoping... That thing, this thing, that person, that, you know, account, that whatever it is, that vacation, it's going to give me the Sabbath rest. It's going to give me what I actually want. Finally, I'm going to find it. And yet there's something missing. And life hasn't magically delivered the contentment and peace and satisfaction that we hoped it would. We're tired, we're burned out, we're stuck, we feel one step behind or maybe you've gotten ahead and now you're stressed and anxious because you've got to stay ahead and you can't sleep. There's no REM, there's no deep sleep for your soul. You are not at rest. And maybe for your whole life, maybe for your whole life up to this moment, You've put all your hopes in being close enough to the water when it's stirred that maybe you can be the first one in and maybe it will be, you will finally find what you're looking for. You see, we're looking for rest. We're looking for life. I remember coming out of college. We're all looking for the good life. Coming out of college, you know I remember, well, I'll say going into college. Let's go even further back than that. As a kid, okay, we'll start there. I remember as, as a young boy wanting to be a professional soccer player. That was a dream of mine. That was a hope of mine. That's what I believed was going to give and provide for me the good life. And then I switched sports. I went towards tennis. And so my new dream, my new aspiration was to win Wimbledon. And I remember getting to go to some professional tennis tournaments growing up as a young boy and getting to watch Pete Sampras and Andre Agassi in the early days of Roger Federer and just thinking, that's what I'm gonna do with my life. I'm gonna be the next Federer. It's me, I am destined to be Pete Sampras. That is the good life, okay? It did not happen. Didn't work out that way, right? So. Um, I went to college didn't even play tennis in college made the team but I was like not good enough even to be in the top six So I thought either I can have a life in college or I can be like the ball boy and not even get to travel with the team and you know no I'm gonna go to college instead so I started out pre-med in college because I thought I'll be a doctor you know they make a lot of money they seem to have good lives And then I took organic chemistry. And I thought, no, I am not gonna be a doctor. I don't even wanna be a doctor anymore. I I barely got a C in organic, like the lowest C that you can possibly get. That's what I got on organic chemistry. Uh, It's not the plan for my life. So I, I shifted to the Terry College of Business over at the University of Georgia. And I was like, all right, now I'm gonna go for this job, this internship. And after college, it shifted to now i got to find the right girl. Praise God, I did find her. But I thought, man, I've got to find the right place to live. And all these are good goals. The job, the salary, the girl, the guy, the kids. You know, all these things are good. They're not bad things to pursue in your life. But, and hear me clearly when I say this, if you're Hoping that those things are going to be your pool of Bethesda that provides ultimate meaning, joy, peace, happiness, and contentment in life. Friends, if you think that's where rest and life is found, you are going to be sorely disappointed and you are going to be restlessly searching for the rest of your life because they will not ultimately deliver on what your soul was made for on what you're looking for. Friends, those are gifts. Everything you have in life is a gift from God. The breath in your lungs, the mind in in your, the brain in your head, the mind in your head. I I lost the analogy. I didn't get a lot of sleep. So (laughs) everything we have is a gift from God. It's all a gift, but friends, gifts eventually get old. They don't satisfy forever. And if we try to turn the gifts from God, our careers and our marriages and our kids and whatever it is, into the ultimate source of our identity and happiness and contentment, friends, I promise you, you will be disillusioned in this life. You will be restlessly searching your whole life because you're looking at the things that God has given you to provide for you the only thing that God can provide for you. His stuff cannot give you what your soul longs for, only a relationship with him, only intimacy with him, only a connection with the source of rest and life itself. And that is a man named Jesus Christ. That's it. (laughs) Friends, what pools are we desperately trying to get into? I think Jesus comes along and he asks him, Do you wanna get well? Do you wanna be healed? Are you done yet? Are you finished pursuing this pool of Bethesda as your ultimate hope? Life and rest and hope is right in front of you. I'm here. Don't worry about the pool anymore. I'm here. Story continues. Jesus told him, get up. I love this. These are the same words in Greek that he said to Lazarus when he raised Lazarus from the dead. He said, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and he began walking, but this miracle happened on the Sabbath. Sabbath. goes on so the Jewish leaders objected can you even imagine this imagine this a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years stands up and walks on his own two feet and picks up his mat and the Jewish leaders objected they cried foul they threw the flag they said to the man who was cured "Uh, you can't work on the sabbath the law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat can you even imagine i thought about it like this i I thought you know religion says it's the wrong day for a miracle but jesus says get up and walk religion says don't carry the mat you're breaking the rules jesus goes get up and walk and yeah carry the mat The story goes on, the, the Jews and the religious leaders, they get really upset at Jesus. And it says this, this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. This, this is the day you're not supposed to do work, not supposed to heal people on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to carry mats around on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working too. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, look, my work, the Father's work, the work that I'm doing is so that you can find rest, is so that you can actually enter into the Sabbath. There is no Sabbath unless I do my work. And I only do what I see the Father doing. I'm working to give you rest. And you guys are upset because he's carrying his mat i gave him life i gave him rest from his striving that's why i'm here and this made things even worse this is why the jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. They realized what Jesus was saying. It was blasphemy as a man to claim that you were equal with God, blasphemous. And so they're seeking to kill him. This man is dangerous. coming down the home stretch. I, I want to close with this because Jesus goes on and he says this, "I tell you the truth." He's speaking to the Pharisees, he's speaking to everyone around. "I tell you the truth, those who listen, those who hear my message and believe in God who sent me, they have eternal life. They've got life. They get to find what they're looking for. They will never be condemn for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. They've already passed from death into life. And then it says this, next verse. And i assure you that the time is coming indeed it's here now when the dead will hear my voice the voice of the son of god and those who listen to my voice will live the father has life in himself you want to know where life is found it's found in the father and he is granted that the same life-giving power would be in his son you want rest you want sabbath you want life Those who hear the words of the gospel, those who hear the truth of Christ, and those who believe that He is the only Son from the Father, equal and one with God the Father. He is the self-sustaining source of life and rest that you are looking for. And if you believe, you are connected to that source of life. So the thing that kept me up at 1 a.m. last night, I was researching and reading this fascinating book. It's called When Death Becomes Life, and it's a it's a memoir, it's, the, it's a book written by one of the leading transplant surgeons in the world, in America, but in the world. And he was talking about this story of, One of the very first heart transplants that he ever did and i know about heart transplants i know about kidney transplants i know that there's this amazing miracle in modern medicine where somebody who's on the edge of death can actually receive a healthy heart from someone else and that heart will begin beating in their lungs and it will keep them alive it will actually allow them to continue living unbelievable miracle of miracles and he's telling the story of how he had to fly in an airplane from chicago to madison wisconsin to get a heart of a of a young woman who had just passed away tragically in a car accident and when he gets to madison wisconsin and he gets the heart he calls the sh- he calls the operating room back in chicago and he says get the patient ready we're coming back with the heart and at that point the patient is getting taken to the or the operation is beginning they're getting hooked up to this massive machine that's gonna keep them alive when their heart is removed until the new heart is put in and the crazy part of the story where it gets even wilder is they're they're coming to the airplane that was going to take them back to chicago and the pilot stops him on the runway and he says i'm sorry guys the airport shut down there's a massive storm coming in between us and chicago and and he's like the operation's already happening we got what are the odds can we make it can you can we live if we take off do you think we can survive this trip to chicago and the pilot goes i don't know maybe and the doctor asked him along with the other doctors who are with him they said are you willing to try and the man said yeah let's try so they load up in the airplane and they get to ten thousand feet and they enter into this nasty storm cell. And the doctor says, I was sitting in the, in the front row. It's only a six-person airplane and I can see the altimeter, which tells us our altitude right in front of me. And we're at 10,000 feet. And then all of a sudden, it was like the bottom dropped out and we fell within a matter of seconds to 8,500 feet. We did a free fall for 1,500 feet. And then we hit an updraft and suddenly we were at 11,500 feet. He said, we all thought the wings were going to get ripped off the airplane. We were convinced we were going to die. He was terrified, but miracle of miracles, they make it back to Chicago. They get the heart to the patient and they successfully perform a heart transplant surgery. And they, they take this, this mom, she's a, she's a young mom of two little girls. They take her off of this massive cardio pulmonary bypass machine. I learned that word at 2am last night. And miracle of miracles, the new heart as the blood begins to flow through it begins to pump on its own. I'm just like, this is incredible. And now this woman is alive, and she's healthy, and she can go back about her life. And several months later, the hospital actually set up a moment where the mother Of the young woman who died in the car accident was uh, was invited to meet the mother of the two young daughters who had survived because her daughter's heart was now beating in her chest and so this woman came to chicago and they were in a park And she met this mom and she met her daughters and she gave her a hug and the mom said to her, thank you, thank you so much. And the doctors gave her a stethoscope and they asked her, do you wanna hear your daughter's heartbeat? Yeah, I was crying at 2 a.m. in the morning. And she could hear her daughter's heartbeat. And she saw the two little girls of this mother who's now healthy and alive and they hugged her and they said, thank you. And the whole time I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking about this, this picture of a new heart because Jesus says in Jeremiah, God writes through the prophet. He goes, one day my son is coming and he's going to remove your heart of stone. He's going to give you a heart of flesh and you're going to live. The dead will be raised to life. He's gonna give us a new heart and a new soul, one that's made for eternity. So even when this body dies, it's irrelevant because there's eternal life within us. It's gonna make it through to the other side. And one day we're gonna get a body that never wears out and never dies because we have a new heart. And I thought we're all like the paralyzed man before Jesus on the edge of the pool of Bethesda and our souls are desperately searching for oxygen. They're looking for place to find rest and life and they can't find it until we find Jesus who comes and says, let me give you a new heart. Take a breath in your soul for the first time. Understand what it feels like to receive my grace and my mercy and my life into your soul. Experience what it's like to be reconnected to the source of life. The Father has life and He has granted the same life giving power to the Son. Jesus says, Let me give you a new heart. It's what you're looking for. And friends, we're going to close by taking communion. And my prayer for you is simply this. Maybe you're stuck. Maybe you feel paralyzed, maybe you're exhausted and you're weary because you've been looking for rest. You've been searching for life in all the wrong places. And your heavenly father would say to you today, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will take out the heart of stone and you are gonna breathe for the first time your heart's gonna beat for the first time. You're gonna experience spiritual life, new life, forgiveness and resurrection life in your soul for the first time because you believe that Jesus is the son of God who died on the cross for your sins and rose again from the dead. And friends today, if you have never put your trust in Christ, I wanna pray with you before we take communion. And just in this moment, I wanna ask for all eyes closed and all heads bowed. And if you wanna put your faith in Christ, if you wanna find your rest and your life in Christ right now, I just ask that you would boldly raise your hand into the air and I'm gonna lead you in a prayer, but raise your hand right now, raise it high and say, this is for me, I'm looking for rest, I'm looking for life. And right now, I want to enter into the life of Christ. Thank you. Yeah. I want you to pray with me in this moment. This has to be your prayer from your heart. Say to Jesus in your heart, say, Jesus, I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm stuck. Say to him in your heart, I can't find life apart from you. This is not working. And right now, in the depths of who you are, say, I believe that you are the son of God. Tell him that, tell him that you believe that he died on a cross for your sins. In your heart, say to him, thank you for rising from the dead so I could have a new heart, so I could have life everlasting. Friends, place your trust in Jesus and receive the rest and the life that he wants to give you. If you prayed that prayer today, I just wanna encourage you, please, we'd love to meet you at one of our welcome tents. Friends, if you've put your faith in Christ before this moment and you've not yet been baptized, believer's baptism by immersion, next sunday is baptism sunday this is your opportunity to take the step of baptism get baptized do not wait join us next sunday again you can sign up for baptism on our website or at any of the the tents the welcome tents in our lobby and outside friends at this moment we're going to remember the sacrifice of christ and we're going to take communion together because christ has died for us And risen again. Let's take communion together. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.